Hello and welcome back to the Bomb Radio Gamescast. As always, I'm your host, Ryan. Today I'm joined by my lovely duo of co-hosts, Alex. Hello, game hers, game he's, and game thems. And Wyatt. Hi. <laughs> I love the, the just slightly disconcerted laugh. It's, it's like you, you <laughs> don't know that I'm like... As no, no that, I've never heard that before. That was of course new, not. That threw me off. Totally original. Not gonna lie. All right. Uh, this is episode number ninety-seven. We're gonna be talking about the big news this week, which is Sony buying Bungie, as well as some stuff we've been playing and a few other things that have happened in the game landscape over the past two weeks because we did not do news last week. To be honest, there wasn't really any, so we didn't miss a whole lot. But we're gonna go ahead and get the big boy out of the way. Sony. This past week has acquired Bungie for $3.6 billion. Now, that's a big number, right? That does not include the multi-billion dollar uh, package they're giving to incentive package that they are spreading across the company for employees to stay at Bungie. This is a thing they're doing as well. Uh, And the salaries of everyone they are now having to fund. So, this is a big acquisition. (laughs) Very, very big acquisition. Right. This is about half as much as the Bethesda acquisition from back when. So, large numbers yeah. of money being thrown about. And it, and it's an interesting like uh, acquisition as well. I think in terms of like uh, PlayStation's overall like portfolio, because they don't have a lot of games like this. They don't have a lot of like. First person shooter. Really, uh, anything that isn't like which, a third person action game. Which right? is yeah. exactly, you know, one, one, one of the most likely reasons why they did that, along with, yeah. It, it's, it's strange to think about it first, but we're hopefully going, going to, to dig into the possible whys. Mm-hmm. Right. And it, yeah. and it is important to note, too, that this was, this is uh, a deal that's been in the works for like, what, six months, something like that. So this wasn't yeah. like, an immediate like response to the Activision acquisition yeah. because this has been going on for a for quite a while. Yes. Deals like that, while it may appear that way, can not be done on a hair trigger. The uh, the, the I mean, this Activision to be the Activision Blizzard uh, deal isn't even going to be done for close to a full year. Um, this deal is probably fairly similar in the amount of time it's taken to get done. So. Yeah, very long time spans we're working with here. This is not a reaction to anything that Microsoft did. Um, that would be very, I mean, first of all, that wouldn't even be possible because the amount of logistics that yeah. you'd have to do before you can even announce something like that. But also, even if you were able to pull it off, that would just be foolish <laughs> and just yep. a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, I think this is a, a really interesting purchase because Sony has said a few things in the past that lead into reasons why this is possibly, like, why they would look after Bungie specifically. Um, and I think there's some really good points made by a lot of other games journalists, because our this news happened on <laughs> Mondays, and we record our podcast on Sundays, so we are on the end of the news cycle for this one. <laughs> so the hearing it, one curse. Look, it happens to everyone at different times. Uh, we, got, we got the drops on the Activision Blizzard deal real quick, so uh, with this, I think we're in this position of having heard reactions from everyone else. We're in a more measured state of, okay, there are a lot of benefits and possible drawbacks going down the line of this acquisition. I think the big question mark here is, is Bungie going to be worth $3.6 billion plus the incentive packages, plus the salaries 
I don't know. Uh, Destiny is hugely successful, so probably is, is the answer. But It is, but there's two things to keep in mind with Destiny. Running a looter shooter behind the scenes is incredibly expensive. Yeah, it's all hands on deck. It's like an MMO. Yeah. It's a lot of... Especially, especially for one that's as big as this. But the other thing, too, is that they have really high-quality content, too, like in, in terms of just production value. So that's that's also just adds on to the cost significantly because it's such like higher production value than in a lot of other looter shooters. So there's a it's lot of a, polish that goes into it, it as well. It, it could, um, which is, you know, a, a little strange thing is that, I mean, maybe the, um, the, the reveal that Bungie is working on a, a second yet to be named IP came along probably along the lines of, you know, when they realized the, the deal was, well, Actually, no, because the, the... That IP has been rumored for about six months now, so I doubt it would be the same. Okay. But it I could be, though. Definitely, yeah. uh, PlayStation can absolutely aid in that endeavor with, you know, um, expanded hiring process, you know, um, just yeah. better, better avenues to go through for that. Well, Sony said um, they, they're actively the, looking to expand into the live service market because Sony right now has no properties that are live service. Uh, Nothing that even really fits in the market space, whereas Xbox already has, like, you have Halo Infinite that just launched. Uh, Forza, as odd as it sounds, is kind of modeled after live services. It's a lot more player-friendly in terms of, like, microtransactions. It's more you buy, like, the expansion pass with expansion content. But the structure of, like, the seasons and everything is very akin to a live service. So I think even Xbox Nintendo has got a has, lot of stuff that fits. Even Nintendo, I'd argue. Like, I, I, I'm not super familiar with Tetris Android, 99. The way... <laughs> Tetris 99, but from the way it seems, I feel like Animal Crossing, it kind of fits into that as well. It seems like they have a lot of, like... Oddly enough, yeah. Uh, seasonal uh, I, stuff that comes out, that sort of thing. I, I think there's also a thing with, you know, Sony, as fantastic as the majority of their exclusives are, you, you can't solely do exclusives forever. I think... Especially if they're all in the same, like, two genres. Their, their acquisition mean, of, of Bungie... Uh, with with this and you know all the the talks in the FAQ pages and, and things like that of you know uh, everyone at Bungie is saying you know we're we're staying multi platform things like that I think it's uh, another sort of um, yeah it's, uh, it's a very good playing point. the long game seeing how it goes first so there has been a lot of confirmations that from Bungie specifically that even past Destiny uh, their other projects are going to be multi platform and that they are still self publishing. Um, or that they still have the option to self-publish. Not that they, I, they didn't say they're going to always self-publish, but they said that we still have self-publishing as an option for our future properties. So it, expect multi-platform releases. It sounds like a very good sort of um, sugar daddy deal uh, between <laughs> between Sony and Bungie. With uh, yeah, you you can you know may, maybe show us a little bit of your uh, your experience with that uh, with that live service. Uh, and, and yeah. you get the benefit of investing in a, a multi-platform. I do wonder if some of this acquisition is getting uh, not necessarily training from Bungie, but getting some of the higher-ups who are in charge of like Bungie's um, s schemes to keep players around. <laughs> mm -hmm. no, that's, a, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if that's going to be something that they're going to start training other studios in. Because we know... Um, there's a couple of announced live service projects coming out at some point. We don't have release dates, but we know Factions for Last of Us 2 is happening at some point. Uh, we oh, know right. that Sony has said they have 5 to 10 live service games they want to launch in the next like 10 to 15 years. So 
I'm curious wow. to see where we end up. A lot of those are in different genres and whatnot, but it's a big number, especially because live service games, like there's a limited market share because they are so demanding of your time and attention that you cannot play more than one at a time, right? Like, yeah, right. it's <laughs> it's coming dangerously close to uh, making making a game feel more like a job. Yeah, uh, I think that's a good if, point. If you can, if you can tread that line correctly, then it's 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 a rewarding genre yeah and 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 to that too if they're going to be releasing so many of those games that require such a, a commitment it comes down to like well are you going to have a wide variety of different types yes. of service games because that's the big thing it's primarily like, hey, not release... just shooters right because that's the big thing right now is right. not anything so, aside from shooters right so like if you're going to have a ton of live service games that's fine but if they're all going to be like first or third person looter shooters or looter slashers or whatever then you know i don't think you know i think people are going to get bored of of that kind of those kind of releases really quickly because it's very similar to one another what would a live service game that wasn't a shooter look like i think you can do it i think godfall tried to uh to a degree and tried is a good way of putting it well actually i think a better way of phrasing that is godfall looked like it should have tried but they didn't (laughs) Right, like they did all the things where they were like, "Oh, it's not a live service game," but the entire game screams, "This should be a live service." So, mm-hmm. yeah. And it, Brett's not here, but constantly, I, Brett and I talk about the one genre that really fits well with live service as a concept: sports and wrestling games. Yeah, sports and wrestling. You can oh sure because that but way, TV. instead of doing the yearly releases that require so much effort from the studio just do yearly updates for like three years, four years at a time, and then release your new big expansion or big new game every couple of like five years. That way you have this large sustainable cycle of games to be made. And I think that's a genre that could certainly see that happen. I think FIFA uh, tricks people into giving them their money too much to know how to be able to change. I mean, FIFA's <laughs> might be changing anyway. With I don't think we still know the end state of whether or not EA is going to use FIFA as a name anymore. Oh. We'll see. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of genres that could work. Um, as specifically, anything that has like any real world things that play into it. So, like Defiance, right? Was that old um, yeah. sci-fi yeah. shooter MMO? That that, that game was and I super. Keep desperately trying to bring up constantly. because <laughs> well, very interesting. I don't. I'm not yeah. going to say it's a good game, but <laughs> it could have worked really well. Uh, interesting. The TV show was pretty good, to be honest. Like the game, oh. maybe not. But well, and also, and also, again, when they say live service game, this could mean something like Destiny. That's very much like a live service, you know, looter yeah. thing. Or it could be something. Like what we're going to talk about probably a little bit later, Dying Light, which I would argue is very much a live service game. It's just a single player open world game. First, live service in a different context. That's, that's what I'm saying. So like if that's how they want to play things is more like, OK, we're going to be a single player game first, but have live service elements to keep yeah. players coming back to that single player experience. Then I think that's probably the better way to go about it's, it instead of like right now, live Destiny service, a bunch of times. whenever you say live service, people tend to think multiplayer when we just haven't really seen what a live service single player game would look like. So I'm, and, I'm and we've curious. Seen, again, if we've seen a little bit that. of it like dying light, but I feel like they could have gone further with it if they really wanted to. Yeah. I think, really? I think the balance that they, that they cut with the first one is quite good, but they could go further with it if they wanted to in the future with this one with two. I guess the, the main thing I think of when I hear of live service is seasonal 
things or season things and you know, battle passes or things like that. Does Dying Light have the battle pass or a season attached to it? No, um, it usually has like seasonal events, stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. So like, so it has like, like a Halloween event. Things. Okay. Yeah, it has like a Halloween event and stuff like that. Oh, um, that that I could easily picture for single player games have been. There, quote there's the. Whatever it's called, that's like a uh, like a medieval fantasy themed thing that you access through the arcade machine. Oh yeah, they did the like Hell that. Raid DLCs. Hell Raid, that's what it's called, which yeah. is really really cool. They released a lot of small DLC packs that have additional content, and then tons of just general support alternate, and updates. Alternate costumes and looks for Crane and stuff like that. Yeah, mm. lots of interesting stuff there. So. <laughs> I'm very curious. I think we're going to have a lot more information about this in the months to come because this feels like a, a deal that is more closely, more able to see what this is going to look like than the Activision Blizzard deal just because Activision Blizzard has so much going on, right? Like, yeah. we don't, we are not going to know what the, that end result is for a year at least. But with Bungie, I think we'll start to see, uh, once Witch Queen has launched and everything, we'll start to see the effects of that. Because um, they stated that there's not going to be any timed exclusives in Destiny until 2024. So they didn't say ever, but they said until the, the 2024 expansion launches, there's not going to be timed exclusives or um, any like content locked to a specific platform. So, Which, you know, I mean, that is... Leaves open the thing of after uh, <laughs> 2024, uh, could, there will be, we, but... We could be seeing the, the PlayStation exclusive... Uh, strikes or exotics or things like that, where they used to have them in D one, which was yeah. I think what what was I mean, nobody liked that, right? Like nobody thought that was a good Real, idea. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it, was, it was always they like, were really cool because like, oh, it was always a matter of like, oh, if they do like you know, um, ex like platform exclusive content, I'm like it's not a question of if it's a question of when, because there's no yeah. way that they purchased, that they made this big of a purchase and they're not going to capitalize on it with exclusive content. There's no way. So I just feel like that's the big question mark here. What is Sony getting out of this right now? Because currently it looks like nothing, like actually nothing. So something is going to be happening on the back end at some point. It may not be Destiny related at all, um, but... Oh, go ahead, Alex. Well, th this is what I was talking about earlier with the, you know, it might... It doesn't have to be technically physical things or money. It can be the 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 what I was talking about earlier, joking with the 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 sugar daddy experience being okay. <laughs> seeing seeing the the experience that they have and getting getting people familiar yeah. with how Destiny does live service things, so that they're able to to uh, transfer that that information. To how and maybe just having an experienced studio that does a genre that isn't third person action, right? Like yeah. That Sony definitely has that problem right now. Of I love third-person action games, so I'm not complaining. But yeah. they definitely have a lack of other genres. And I think if you if you want to play first-person shooters, you're probably not leaning towards Sony platforms unless you're already playing like Call of Duty on them. You don't have a lot of other options. So, and yeah. it, it could be the sort of thing too where they hire on you know Bungie and and Bungie keeps Destiny running, but but they could place a lot of like. They could have Bungie be like, okay, Bungie, you have a lot of experience with live servers. We're going to have you be in charge of that, like, division of our portfolio. And so, yeah. like, going forward, you know, Bungie leadership could have a lot to say with not just Destiny, but with... You'd think um, the Bungie leadership would be, would get a place inside Sony decision-making? Or yeah, I, decision. I think so. Yeah, think if you pay this much money, I think that means they want the people in this company there uh, and want to use their yeah. expertise. So, 
And especially given their interest in live service, it makes sense to get people who know what they're doing and kind of have them, you know, run things in that respect. Like, we all have our individual gripes with Destiny, but I think all of us agree that Destiny's gunplay and, like, general gameplay is some of the best in bids, right? Like, even if... Yeah. I, I don't think Brett tends to agree that it's the best shooter, but I think, at least in my opinion, I don't know about you, Wyatt, outside of, like, it- Halo Infinite... <laughs> The, the the way that it feels in the moment is absolutely oh yeah one of the, moment the moment. most satisfying shooter game that I played. Yeah, I will. I mean, that's what keeps keeps people around. I, I think the thing that Destiny probably knows but doesn't need to act on because they're generally good at keeping up with new content and whatnot is I think if if you didn't get any new content for Destiny two for a year, people would still be playing it uh, because the gameplay is so we've good. had we have had a six month season. Uh, four of those months have essentially been um, essentially no new content. We did get the, the, the 30th anniversary pack, which, which took things up a bit. Um, yep. So yeah. I do want to move this discussion to uh, there's a couple other things with Destiny that are happening that lead me to believe there could be some kind of spinoff or something in the works because Destiny, or not Destiny, but Bungie hired one of Riot's animation directors for a Destiny mm, transmedia yes. experience. Yes, it's a Derek Sai, who has over a lot of experience in the uh, um, animation industry. So we don't know anything about what this could mean, except for the fact that they've stated Destiny is working with a transmedia experience here. So I'm wondering if maybe they're going to be partnering with Sony's film division. They, because Sony, have- yeah... Go ahead, Alex. Oh no, I was just going to say, yeah, you absolutely. Sony is multimedia. They multi-media, I mean, they, they did they spi- the recent Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Their animation studios yeah. do tons of great films. There's an Uncharted movie coming out very very soon. So I do wonder if that is possibly if they want to spin off Destiny into like a a League of Legends style multi game thing <laughs> conglomerate media conglomerate. Uh, I think Sony is a good pick for a studio to do that because Sony's got so many hands in different industries that if Bungie is looking to expand Destiny as an IP, this is probably beneficial for them, and Sony gets the obviously some of the money coming from that. So I think there's a lot of... Yeah. that If that's where this leads, and it's less to do with the video game and more to do with maybe spinoff video games or spinoff TV series or something, because, uh, man, I would... Look, Destiny's lore is nonsensical if you don't read outside of the game, right? <laughs> but Delivered in not the best way, but my god, is it engaging. How cool would it be to get like a film that is an animated Destiny film or something that goes into some crazy side story? I would love that. I right? would pay good money to see a movie on the Books of Sorrow. Dude, I just imagine there's so, many, there's so much potential with Destiny's background, because it has that very... Uh, the background is never too specific, so you have a lot of oh leeway with how you do God, things. God, they could do a Shin Malfur and Dredgen Yor show. I have Holy no idea what those words mean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down to watch it if it comes out. Uh, you sound excited, so that's great. <laughs> uh, yeah. spa- essentially, Shin Malfur, biggest space cowboy gunslinger, hunting... I would love that. Uh, yeah. Evil okay. uh, knight or titan who ha- has a fun relationship with a hive witch. So, so much potential. Um, so I do, I do want to ask you, Alex, how long do you think Destiny 2 as an entity stays around? 
and before they go, not not like Destiny as a franchise dies, but until like Bungie comes up with the next big Destiny project that is like Destiny three or because I don't think they use Destiny two as the platform forever because it's clear that Destiny two has a lot of like the fact that they've had to do the sunsetting and vaulting. Yeah. It looks like there's a lot of engine limitations with Destiny two. Yeah, I, I do absolutely believe it could be reorganized better, and I hope that they. Or I, I, I don't really have a um, a horse in the race too much in the in the future of it. Um, if if they do end up doing a Destiny three or or really uh, heavily leaning into the a uh, newer IP, it would be post twenty twenty four. Yeah, because they they have uh, expansions with, planned till then. Yeah. Um, with the this being technic currently we're in the uh, on the twenty second of this month the second yearly expansion for the um, the the second trilogy uh, comes out and you know, after so it's you know, we have Witch Queen and then after that it's going to be Lightfall and they have stated that that is the end of the Light and Dark saga. But they haven't said that it's the end of Destiny, which it, it's it's confusing wording to. That sounds like Final Fantasy Endwalker that. wording to me, to where everyone like for a brief period of time thought Endwalker was going to be the last expansion. So like, oh, this is the final chapter in the saga, and like, no, this is just it, we're going to start a new story arc after this. The 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 writers could very well already have you know three to four more years planned out, but it, yeah. it definitely feels from from a. Uh, consumer point of view where would they go with the story after that could it be engaging enough to continue playing i mean i think that's always when historically when you look at media that has gotten to that point of where we're going to go with the story after that time skip throw in a time skip and we go yeah. down and that is the key i think that is the moment you seize to make your new entry because i i do think if destiny wants to be this live service because destiny 2 when it originally launched wasn't this right like, this is not the end state that I think they had in mind when Destiny 2 was uh, in pre-planning. Right, um, that was what it was still with Activision, I believe. And they had, yes. uh, they had uh, Destiny 2 Vanilla, um, and then they had the, the two just expansions that were expansions and not seasons. That was yeah. um, Curse of Osiris, which was... Um, which, which a lot of people have strong opinions on, and uh, Warmind. I believe. And then, then I, I wasn't around for that. I wasn't around until midway through Destiny um, Year 3 after Shadowkeep came out. So I wasn't privy to sort of how, how the, the, the shift from expansion to seasonal content went. So that actually, I mostly played Destiny during the vanilla period. Um, so I think vanilla destiny played very much like what i would imagine a halo live service game to be like not live service but halo like somewhat multiplayer halo game like pseudo mmo halo mm. game where the main focus was on like the content that you would get through in the sub stories and whatnot and then you had like the strikes that would happen and the occasional raid that would come around um but it was, it was more of like a social platform right it was following that mmo design so i wonder <laughs> If at that point they had planned for an endpoint to Destiny Two, and the, for some reason plans changed, uh, probably because of the success of the game, they were like, "Okay, we're, we need to keep this around as a platform," because like, to me, I think Destiny Two has a marketing and like branding problem. Because if you want new people to get into Destiny Two, right, you're already asking, "Okay, 
I can't really play the first game easily anymore on it's, a lot of platforms. Yeah. I can't play the campaign <laughs> of Destiny 2. It's it's so I'm getting dropped in. Friendly. And I think that is going to be something that Sony and Bungie are looking to tackle in the future because that is like the biggest problem that Bun- Destiny has right now, right? Is do you, do you think that the first multimedia attempt could be a way to uh, better shepherd possible new players I think that's an option having them feel um, like like too much FOMO has gone by including like the, the sunsetting of the campaign I think that's an option I think the what I would do if I were Sony is push for a released collection of Destiny 1 and Destiny 2 base so not including the currently live elements but a released maybe Probably not single player, still keep the group aspect, but I would rework some of the content to be doable solo and release like it as a two campaigns in a box thing, right? Because yeah. I think that is print money. The content's like, already made. So Oh, absolutely. Um, do, you, do you think that it, it would be as going as far as remastering aspects of no, one? No, I don't think they would okay. remaster it. Because Mostly because I think I one think, is still holds up pretty well. It, it would be... I think it would be a little bit too hard to go back and let's say implement mantling in, into into d1 where yeah. you, know, you weren't able to grab onto ledges in d1 until i think i see the furthest the furthest i could see them doing with something like that is treating it like a mass effect legendary where the character creation is carried over ah yeah, uh, that, and your that. character like not actual progression but your your character itself is carried over so and, and the other thing about that too is that i mean they're they're not shy about bringing old content and old areas back, right? Like I I didn't play, I had stopped playing Destiny around this time, but they did bring back uh, the Cosmodrome from D one, right? I think the yes. entire most of the yeah. entire areas there. So they're definitely not shy of bringing back old content. So if that's something that they wanted to do, they totally could. I mean, they even have the original opening from D one now for um, you know for new players. And so yeah, I yeah. think I think resources are better spent implementing more of the you know, older content and stories and stuff into just the game in general rather than trying to do, like, a remaster. Well, that's what we were talking about while I think you were away. (laughs) Is, um... Right. So, mentioning (laughs) that Destiny has a branding problem right now of... You have this issue of it's called Destiny 2. I, as a new player, if I go in and and start playing Destiny 2, forgetting all the experience I have with Destiny, I have no clue what's going on, right? And the game has no way for me to get myself up to speed in a way that isn't just like reading lore pages right it is it, it's the same problem that final fantasy 14 has if you skip something right like exactly the same problem so they they implemented i i don't think this is a real solution by far it, it's kind of it's 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 a it's a little helpful as a catch-up thing. They they um in in the main directory, you know, you see the list of all the the planets that you can go to. Uh, they have a timeline where it goes. Okay, this is a vanilla. Look, it's Alex, story summaries for everything. you say timeline. All I can all I want is for every game to have a timeline that just tells me what to do first. Oh, because oh, ESO do doesn't have that. Yeah, the the timeline's more like catching you up on things that you cannot do anymore oh. with with sunsetting, really. And and then it has story summaries for each expansion, though, so that's somewhat helpful. I mean, I'm just 
when I look at the content that has already been made and vaulted for Destiny, I still see like tons of potential for money there. If you just repackage that some way and get it out so that people can play it again in a way that it is not the current Destiny thing. So I think what they need to do is like at some point either you can use Destiny 2 as the launchpad for this if you really want to, but I think it's a bad idea. Um, I think what Destiny really needs is a clean cut off and start again. So I think the end of that light and dark saga is probably the point where they pull the trigger on that because the best way that I think get new players into Destiny at this point is not to pretend, not to like try to catch them up with everything that has happened, but to put them on equal footing with old players where the story that you're going into is new with new characters and new stakes and whatnot. So I think you do that by creating like a Destiny thing that is not titled like Destiny 3 if they're going to keep doing this live service. Just title it like Destiny again or something. I, I know we all hate that, but it's the, to a new player, I think that makes the most sense. Is just like after Destiny 2 runs its course, launch like Destiny, the actual MMO live service thing. Where Destiny Rebirth? Maybe. Yeah, Destiny Reborn, something like that. Uh, where you actually are playing through the current content in a way that is friendly to both new players and old players. And I think that's like the best way to get people into that because the lack of the ability to play old content is so detrimental to those new players. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder where they go. I'm, I'm rooting for, for them to find a solution to this because I think Destiny's gunplay is still so good. Um, and from what I've seen of the uh, Shadowkeep Onwards class design, it's a lot better than when I was playing it back in vanilla. So <laughs> I, I haven't gotten a chance to play it again yet, but... At some point, I'll probably hop back in. With uh, with Witch Queen, you will have a chance to uh, play with their first first person melee weapon, which is going to be that. Oh yeah, I saw that. Very enticing. Those look very cool. Uh, all right, moving on from the Destiny discussion because I think we got a lot of mileage out of this, and we're going to end up talking about it again whenever the next big news <laughs> drop about this happens. Uh, so <laughs> let's move on. Uh, I want to have you guys take a guess right now. We play games on this show. All of us here are familiar with Unity. Oh no! <laughs> why would you? Why would you say that name? So, getting, for those who don't know, I'm Unity is a game development <laughs> engine. Same <laughs> uh, flashbacks with the boys, and we're just all collectively going. So, Unity has now. released. Unity has released their financial reports. I would like you two to take a guess at what their uh, revenue for the past for the last three months of 2021 ended up being. It's a three-month period. How many millions of dollars did Unity make? Now I'm trying to look back, and I'm trying to remember like Unity license pricing. <laughs> I'm trying to remember it in my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, God. It's not tremendously expensive. That's the I think the key point here is Unity is not a super expensive engine to use, even for larger companies. Yeah, comparatively speaking, definitely. Thirty-five. Um, Thirty-five million in three months. Okay. I was gonna say like uh, somewhere between fifteen and twenty. I'm gonna go with. 20 million. Alright, well you all are vastly underestimating the size of Unity. They made 315 million (laughs) in those three months. Uh, Total revenue this year was 1.1 billion. Jesus. Yep. 
So it is an interesting state. I think a lot of that is from, a lot of people don't know, Unity has a lot of contracts outside of just game development, specifically for military use and for um, huh. medical and research purposes, because a lot of people use and automotive. Uh, it's it is a incredibly versatile engine. It's not just used for games. Respect. Same thing with Unreal, because Unreal is used for a lot of filmmaking stuff. That's what Unity tends to not do super well. So, which perfect example? Unreal is what's used to make all the digital sets uh, for the Star Wars TV shows. Perfect example. Of Very cool. Just, it's yeah, also better just with how particles. They are. <laughs> That's true. Yep. So, I think it was interesting just to note that. And additionally, Unity also has a huge operating loss right now. So, the loss for one quarter, uh, let me f f see if I can see what quarter it was, but they did lose $144 million at one point. Over what Certainly they not because revenue. I'm pirating it. No, not at all. <laughs> I mean, Unity is free. <laughs> so you're not. <laughs> uh, I'm Free version of Unity. And there's nothing you can do to stop me. God, I am tired. You need the cost so of money. Yep, yeah, Unity maybe. is free for personal use and, and free for developing use as long as you don't make like I think I think once you hit a hundred thousand dollars in revenue, um, you have to start paying for Unity. But until you hit that, Unity is free. Oh boy, I am gonna be in the clear for a while. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you got to hit some big numbers. And I think it's I don't even think it's cumulative. I think it's like one game has to make that much. So. You gotta hit some big numbers. We have some interesting sales data from the last two weeks from Pokemon Legends Arceus and Dying Light 2. Legends Arceus has just held off of Dying Light 2 taking the number one spot. So, it's interesting. Legends Arceus really doing some good sales, despite there being a 72% drop from the week before. You know what? Maybe, maybe Dying Light 2 could use a Bidoof in it. <laughs> A nice good old beef. I wouldn't complain. Yep. Is that a, is that a Pokemon? Yeah, it's a Pokemon. It's one of the Pokemons in Legends Arceus. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> we also, this week, got confirmation from Rockstar in the form of a Twitter response that they are working on the next installment of Grand Theft Auto. Uh, we don't know if this is properly GTA 6, but it well, is some Grand time. Theft Auto thing. I mean, we, I think this Twitter, this tweet to me is many of you who have been asking about a new entry in Grand Theft Auto series. With new pro every new project, our goal is to always significantly move beyond what we've previously delivered. We're pleased to confirm that active development for the next entry in the series is underway. That to me just reads as they literally just put the statement out so that people would stop asking them if they're making the next Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, that seems like that seems that seems like them. It is to be clear, this next entry is going to be uh, the trilogy remastered a second time, but worse. <laughs> Oh no! Because, because uh, this this also sticks of like okay, we just released the remastered trilogy. It's a complete disaster. Let's, you know, let's. Or get in the, the words of them, there was one bug that was fixed. Exactly. So like, let's get the fact that we're working on a new GTA game just out the door. Let's just tell people that we're working on it so they'll get excited again for something. Because this is this is Rockstar. This is Grand Theft Auto. You want to save these kind of announcements for like a big E3 show or something to get people hyped out of their minds. Yeah. And the fact that it's just this like wet fart of a of a <laughs> like a tweet is just bizarre to me. It's me so meanwhile. strange. Meanwhile, Red Dead Online is drowning in the shallow end of the pool. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's very strange how it just feel it felt so like matter of fact. It's interesting because I think Rockstar is confidently in the position where they don't actually need to release a game very often uh, to be yeah. sustainable. So you know, I take the time, make it good. I oh, guess no, they're confident that take too the after time. the cancellation of Bully. I, I mean, you know me, I'm very much in favor of, like, taking the time. But also, it's like, if you want to get pe- people excited. Like, they didn't really talk about Red Dead 2 that much until they uh, until they revealed it. And that was actually pretty close to launch. Yeah. From what I remember as well. Like, that was a good way of doing it. You have, you know... They waited until they had gameplay footage. Gameplay. Yeah, you, talk, you, you show off your trailer, you talk about gameplay a little bit, and then you release it. Here, it's like, okay, new GTA game. We're going to just... Say that we're working on it in a tweet and call it a day. And again, I think that's because they want to get some good publicity. They want to get some like positivity back in their... Uh, They're not treating this as their actual reveal. They're just being like, no, no. please stop asking us about it. Please stop asking us about it. And please, please uh, forget about the remastered trilogy and like us. Yeah, again, please. absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what else we love on this show? NFTs. <laughs> No, <laughs> and no. this has been a, I, the past oh, two weeks have been interesting for NFTs because we just, multiple people. Should, should we just have like a dedicated segment now they, for NFT stuff? To look, be honest, it feels like we're like start doing. Get it. So I, I want to take a moment here just to like actually describe what an NFT is for people that don't know. It's a non fungible token. Bunch of nonsense words. All it means is you are buying a receipt. That is what you're buying. You're buying a receipt that says, I bought this thing. It doesn't prevent someone else from buying the thing. It doesn't... Right-clicking. It, it, doesn't, it does prevent them from buying it, but it doesn't prevent them from, you know, right-clicking and saving it as something. Uh, it's just a useless thing. It's The weird thing is that everything that you can do with an NFT is stuff that we've already been able to do in the games industry for a very long time, right? Like, the idea of having skins that have a unique serial yeah. tag on them, we can already do that. That's a thing that is possible to do with current technology without buying into this crazy blockchain but NFT this time, It's more stuff. environmentally harmful. Yeah, How it's does like, that sound for a pitch? It's so confusing to me as to why this is the thing that so many of these like CEOs have latched on to as what they're pushing. Because, I don't know. Yeah, but, I, yeah, but Ryan, I feel like, it's, I feel like yeah, it's, but, it's their obsession to try to get into something that's metaversy. Which also, I am not for at all. Yeah but, yeah, but Ryan, you can either hate or you can create. Uh-huh. Yep. God damn, Wyatt. <laughs> yep. So, <laughs> these are, they're dumb. Uh, NFTs, I do think, from the standpoint of technology as a wider thing, could have some practical use at some point. We just haven't, I don't think, seen, have not seen that yet. So, you know, I'm not going to write off the technology, but for hey. gaming use right now, every usage that we've seen has just been dumb. They, they do have a practical use outside of the gaming industry. Um, money laundering. Yeah, great. <laughs> so happy we can use them for that. Listen, I feel like all of our um, opinions and perspectives on this is going to change when Peter Molyneux comes out with his masterpiece NFT-based video game. I'm it's, going it's gonna, <laughs> to it's gonna, find... You say that as if it's a joke, but I totally can see that happening tomorrow. <laughs> Peter <laughs> announces that Fable 3 is fully made of NFTs, I, or Fable 4. I mean, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, oh my god, no. Tony Hawk does NFTs now, no one is. I don't think he's doing them for very long. I feel like Tony Hawk, I, I haven't followed up on that, but I think he's going to denounce that immediately. 
God, I hope so. I hope he pulls a Troy. So, the reason I bring NFTs up again is, a couple months ago, EA's CEO, Andrew Wilson, said that NFTs are the future of the games industry, and it's something that EA was going to currently work on. Now, be scared. he's announced that Team 17, uh, the Worm Studio, is backing off of NFTs, um... Troy Baker has decided to not work on NFTs. Andrew Wilson has just announced NFTs. So, all of the big Konami NFT projects being... that just have... Oh, Konami is still being Konami. Don't give yeah. them any credit. Uh, everyone else is just backing off because it's it's a silly technology. It's not useful in the way that people... I feel like what's happening is that executives are looking at NFTs as like, okay, it's a buzzword that'll make us money. Except it's an anti-buzzword. As soon as and, consumers and see NFT, they don't want to buy the thing, right? It is It is really interesting because I feel like it's getting a very, like, it's being, uh, from a public perspective, it's being treated very similarly to, like, loot boxes. But the turnaround on us being like, we're not okay with this is was so much faster. Because well, <laughs> NFTs really, really encourage the, like, CSGO gambling with skins mindset that yeah, I yeah. think is so close to like I honestly think like even if he's got crazy popular and they went the route of okay you can resell these at crazy prices regulation is going to drop on the games industry like a hammer and things are going to get real bad right it's Which also the the idea that you can use them in between games is Absolute horror. Hor- I mean, we have that already. We have amiibos. But when I buy an amiibo, I get a cool little figure. And it's like 10 bucks, and I put it on my shelf, and I have a nice little display figure, and I can tap it and in Smash also, Bros. to play well, the, against it. Yeah. So in, that's in cool. In between games that are like from different publishers? Yeah. Not po- from, from in, in, so I, if I have my Star Fox amiibo, I can use it in that, and I can use it in Starlink Battle for Atlas. You know? So one, much go So much more goes into that. Studios can use different the, scaling based on the engine that they're going to do. Things handle models differently. I, I also remember the uh, the the uh, Switch Skyrim port, where like if you, um, you know, I, I think if you had like a link, amigo, yeah, you can tap your like, link amigo to get a uh, master sword and shield, and like the little tunic and everything, yeah. With that amiibo, though, it's actively a different model. It's not the one. Yeah, but that's what I want, because it looks like it belongs in the game that it's in, rather than just being some weird 3D model that I ripped off of some NFT site. (laughs) It's use it to decorate your home. Like, I think developers are thinking... Not developers. I don't think any developers think this, but I think a lot of executives look at this as like, okay, we can use an NFT, and it's going to save us tons of money, because we can, like, transfer this thing between... Different projects. No, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. <laughs> right, right. That's not going to do anything at all. Um, so yeah, I think every every usage we've seen so far of NFTs is very silly and, and a waste of time and money. So maybe we'll see something at some point that's interesting. But as of right now, I think every usage that has been proposed is first of all something that could just be done normally, right? Because like. You can already do numbered skins and whatnot with CSGO. CSGO's been doing that for years. They have the technology, you know? There's ways to do it that is not an NFT. Um, So I'm just curious as to, like, why people latched onto it so hard. At least it's become free publicity for studios to say we're not using NFTs, and then they get a couple of upvotes on Twitter. So. Hey, silver lining. Glass half full, yeah. Yep. It's just a very interesting state of the world. In more positive news, 
please. It's been 12 years. 12 years since Skate 3 launched. EA has stated that Skate 4 is launching soon. You know, there, there's been so much talk about you know, you, uh, Grand Theft Auto players waiting for the sixth installment in the series. Us, uh, Elder Scrolls fans waiting for the sixth installment of the series. Skate fans, they're, they're the real people who are suffering. Absolutely. I'm cautiously optimistic for Skate 4 because a lot of the team behind it does look very good at what they're doing, but we've seen nothing. Like, actually nothing. So, I don't know. This could totally be a Jedi Fallen Order situation where we're just not going to see anything until, like, a couple of months before it releases and is really good. It's totally what could happen here, but it's odd that we've gotten, like, radio silence since then, and then suddenly it's close to launch and we haven't seen anything. Uh, I wonder if EA's waiting for another big event to show it off. Hmm. Are there any... Because my calendar skills are awful. Are there any gaming publicity events in the near future? Uh, Gamescom might be coming up, but probably not, actually. Yeah, Gamescom's not until the summer. So I think there's not really any major industry events. Although for launching soon, I could see E3 kind of counting for that. It's in If it's in July, August. Uh, it's just a good four or five months away. So we've got time. We'll see. In other positive news, though, Pokemon has released the music and sound effects from Diamond and Pearl for free. Not as NFTs? Not as NFTs. You just go in and you can download them. And they're free for personal use. And So the confusing thing here, Pokemon Company is traditionally a very DMCA-happy company. So I will still get a copyright strike if I use them. Well, we don't know. So these are supposedly for use in personal videos and music. So like, if you're not monetizing a video, you're free to use it. Uh... But there's also been some weird reports coming in that they mean this to be that you can monetize videos they're on. You just can't like use these to create a like pr- a professional movie or something, right? So huh. I do wonder like where the line is with this because it's a little confusing. But I don't know. It's a it's a neat thing that you can at least download these and have high quality uh, Pokemon assets to use in, in videos. It's very nice. Yeah. If you're creating music, I think that could be great for some Spotify tracks or <laughs> SoundCloud tracks. Come with some new Pokemon remixes. But it's exclusively Palkia's Roar. Be pretty great. <laughs> Supposedly, the Witcher Gwent games are getting another entry this year. Really? We had Thronebreaker, uh, and it's supposedly there is heavy rumors from IGN that we are going to be getting a new single player standalone Gwent game. very interesting. I, I like Thronebreaker, so I'm curious to see what this is if it releases. I, I like Gwent as a concept. I wish I was good enough to beat the tutorial on easy. <laughs> I am yeah. not. As oh, poor boy. The Witcher 3, I've never ever been able to wrap my brain. Well, we are very Gwent. different people. <laughs> Gwent was my favorite part of that game. Oh, I love it. It was for I a can't lot play of it. Alright, our last interesting bit of news is that Wordle has been bought by the New York Times. So for people who don't know Wordle, Wordle is a phone, uh, kind of like a crossword. It's a little bit hard to describe if you haven't played a lot of it, but 
it's it's a game that is a, a little bit like doing a crossword, right? It's that same idea of you have a little puzzle you do once a day on your phone. So words with friends type deal? No, it's not word with friends. It's like a solo puzzle thing. I think I haven't done Wordle in ages, so I can't tell you exactly how it works. But I believe you have like a it's like Hangman in, in some sense, where you have to like fill in the letters based on uh, what you try out. And there's like a, a bunch of time limits to it of to give some some neat little bits of you know endorphin rush. So it's interesting. It, it was bought out by New York Times. I don't know what this is going to lead to. The big prevailing thought right now seems to be that it's probably going to stop being free. <laughs> Which Next up, New York Times buys EA. They're trying to get into the gaming business. That would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That's an acquisition I can get behind. Uh, so yeah, this is a neat little bit of interesting information for people who play Wordle. Alright. It's time to go. We're off of the news section. It's time to go into our personal picks games that we've been playing this past week or two. No one's excited. Wow. It's complete lack of any excitement. <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought there was something else coming. I... And I stayed up until 6 a.m. because I'm an idiot. So I'm Wonderful. Tired. Why so, would you do so, that, Wyatt? Listen. Moving on. <laughs> All right. Well, Damn. speaking of staying up very late, Dying Light 2. Ah, is a game that came out very recent. At least Wyatt and I have been enjoying the first few hours of it. Uh, How many hours do you have uh, at this point? I have more listed in Steam than I've actually played. I think it lists me as having played like eight. I think I've actually played close to like five-ish. Steam Steam says I've played uh, 12 hours, which feels like a lot. So. Yeah, I, I, I've been gotten into the habit of just leaving my computer open with a game open occasionally, so my yeah, hours are all off now. Times. Don't yeah, let yeah, this yeah. turn into Halo hours, Wyatt. <laughs> Don't play for days. <laughs> I will say, so far, uh, my impressions of the game are very positive. I do think my biggest issue, and I think the issue that a lot of new players are going to have, is the tutorial is very long. Uh, the opening mm-hmm. bit of the game takes an extremely long time to let you loose, um, Which I and I still haven't been fully let lo- loose. So the problem I had with Monster Hunter World. So, which to Uh-oh. be honest, I was completely fine with, because I I really liked the area that they start you in, kind of like that yeah, it's very cool mountainous area, and I in the back of my mind I'm like I'm not gonna get like. Because what was nice about it too is that it was linear, like it wasn't an open world section, but it was very large. It was like, it was very, it's a, you know, it's like a straight path, but it's a very wide path. You know what I mean? There's yeah. a lot of different yeah. routes you can take. It's like, okay, you can either kind of scrape around in the buildings a little bit and look for some stuff and then head up the the trail. Or you can like climb to the top of this like freeway and kind of walk along that way. It was really nice. And um, again, it was a very pretty area. And I think it's very unique from the rest of the game, both visually and from like a level design standpoint. And so I actually really enjoyed it because of mm. that. And I'd also argue that it's much better than the opening in the first game, which going back to replay it was terrible, in my opinion. Like, like This opening to me felt a lot longer, but also more engaging. I think the, the Dying Light 1 opening is pretty rough, but it's only like half the length of this one. Um, it feels like it's the same length, because you're not having fun while you're doing it. Yeah, I will say, I think the most people are going to have problems with that if they played Dying Light 1 already and are familiar with what you're going to get access to. 
And so you're kind of in the position of, okay, I just want to, start, I just want to hit a zombie. I just want to do that. I just want to hit a zombie. That, that's where I was at. I was like, okay, it's dying light. I want to hit a zombie real bad. I <laughs> and they didn't let me do it for like half which, an hour. <laughs> which I think, I think speaks to another like aspect of the game in that they're focusing a lot. They're putting a lot more eggs in their narrative basket this time around. Um, we'll see how that turns out. Uh, I, I gotta say, impressions of characters and the story thus far are not amazing. So far, every it's, character I've met, I think, is very one note. Of, yes. They, I, they're not two-dimensional. Like, like the, uh, yeah. uh, the, the, probably the most likable character is, um, what's his name? Haken? Haken? Hakan. Harkon. Harkon. Um, not a great character by any stretch of the imagination, but he's given some sort of... He's, he's like, the only character in the first, like, five hours of the game that is actually, like, t telling you what's going on, right? Like, yeah. they drop you in this world, and then you... Okay, so Wyatt, I, I want to set the scene of the opening scene when you get into the city for the first time for people that haven't played this game. So, you just get through this, this tunnel, uh, you're trying to get in the city to, to go find a missing person... Uh, no spoilers here, don't worry. And you wind up getting out of the grate in the bottom, getting hit in the head with a bat, and then about you're about to be hanged. Oh. After like two seconds. Now, that sounds bad, but there, for a little bit I was following it because you do do a thing where like you just got bit, so you might be infected, and people don't know, and you're doing the thing where you're doing the creepy arm motion, so you might be turning into a zombie. So I'm like, okay, I get kind of the fear here. But then you have someone yells, don't kill him with a bat or a gunshot kill him by hanging him <laughs> and it just turns it gets weirdly brutal in this one moment <laughs> i was like this are you is immune to the virus if you got bit or is that a spoiler so it, it works the same the way thing, as that one is, so yeah here's the thing that i don't understand about how this virus works so he, so your main character is bitten, hence the the you know subtitle of the of the game, which is a stay human. Yeah. Um. And so the way it works is if you you're constantly under like infection, right? But if you are under direct sunlight or a UV light, the infection is held back. So huh. as soon as so as soon as it goes dark, a timer starts, and that's how long it takes for you to become fully infected. And it's not just you. So either. Like, this you is clearly. Sleep. How it works for everyone else as well. Yes. Yes. Huh. Although, although it's hinted at in the well. Mm. Wait, let's not talk about any story stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. I stopped myself. I stopped myself. You do. Um, if you sleep, you can see all the beds have little UV lights by them, uh, so you know you're not turning. So I think the concept here is the city. Everyone is infected. Uh, the idea is that like almost are everyone wearing the uh, the so bracelets. It's, it's not, so it's like a. Like a, it's in the water thing, the Walking Dead's. Yeah, it's style. like you can't like avoid getting infected, infected, right? You just need to avoid being out in the dark long enough to actually turn. So, is is the just the sense that I'm getting from the first few hours? Because they they make this big deal of like, yeah, everyone here has had encounters, and most people are infected. Everyone has to wear a little marker that is like lit up green when you're okay, and if you're about to turn, so it's blinking red. So, which will say. You know, in terms of the very, very tired, like, zombie game genre, is a pretty interesting idea. Yeah, that's where neat. 
everyone's like, infected. It's all about trying to prevent the infection from getting worse. The, the bracelet sounds like some cool diegetic UI too. Which it's not, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, you don't um, use it for anything. Um, it's oh, a little, wow. it's a little it's like circle timer at the top of your screen. But it, it is important that you know like the exact time so you can plan things. So I see why it's not diegetic. I'm but fine with it being clear like UI. You can turn it off and use just the bracelet if you want to. I think, but I, is the bracelet even? It's hard I mean, to see on your character, and I don't think it's a thing that like you can rely on. And it, there's no button where you can just look at your bracelet, which so. would be kind of cool. Which would actually be a really cool feature if you wanted to like be have that sort of yeah. Hey, Dying Light Two, maybe a maybe maybe a patch. I mean, Dying Light One got patches up until three or four weeks ago, so yeah. Yeah. Dying Light Two is. There's an event going on right now that's like part of a story arc or something like that. They're like, definitely going to have long, right long-term support for Dying Light Two. Yes, I, I do want to say, I, I think by. F like one of the biggest improvements for me is the open world design, not oh, only yeah. from a visual and setting standpoint, because Villador is great. I, I, for like a open world zombie city, I think it's fantastic because there's so much, um, there's so much cool, like visual world building going on in that, like no one lives on the ground. Everything that houses human beings are in either very easily defensible, like churches and things like that, or they're like these really shoddy looking like structures built up on, on like, um, you know, buildings, like rooftop like buildings covered in UV lights. Mm. It, it's a very a cool of, aesthetic. There's a bunch of man-made like, uh, ro uh, rope bridges and stuff like that. It's, yeah. It's really cool. The and, idea is that like everyone gets around on the rooftops. They don't use, I think for people that have played Dying Light 1, it, this feels like you start off in the second map of Dying Light 1 immediately, where there's so yes. much verticality everywhere. And because of the setting and how the, the city like uh, looks from a visual perspective, I think it lends itself to much better like a park like level design from a parkour perspective. I think mm. it's way more satisfying oh, yeah. to hop around Villador than it was in... Haran, I think it's called. Yeah, Haran. it's it again. It not only looks more interesting, but it allows for way more interesting. And they like super specifically designed every area here for parkour. Like there's so much stuff put around that is specifically yeah. like they use the language of you see little yellow lines where you can easily make a jump and stuff like that. So you've got a bit of an easy way to there's, tell in the world what you can do. There's great like diegetic visual aid to help you out with that, which is great. And I think one thing a lot of people won't like, but that I really like, is that uh, the parkour, you feel a lot less capable at the start because you don't have a ton of abilities. But as soon as you get a few things, it starts to like roll and feel just like the first game again. Then it gets more and more complicated. You get access to more things. I think makes it feel a, you have a really good sense of progression. I would say the only thing that they kind of overdid in terms of like early parkour is the stamina bar. Oh, yeah. Which the way the way that stamina works now is that um, so you, you have a stamina bar and it's lowered by swinging your weapon, doing like attacks and stuff, but then mm -hmm. also climbing. Will just instantly, hmm. and it's not like it's climbing not like does it more than anything else. <laughs> No, it drains it so quickly, and it's does, not like it's not like the way that Breath of the Wild works. So if you're climbing up something in Breath of the Wild, your your stamina meter meter goes down. But if you stop, your stamina meter stops, so you can sit there and oh, kind of figure out. No. It doesn't do that. It keeps draining even if you're just hanging there. Oh, and, that's disappointing. And I, it's very difficult. It becomes much less of a problem 
a couple hours in, but it is like super frustrating for the first 45 minutes or so. I think the thing is that you, you collect these crates, which allow you to upgrade your, your like max stamina, right? They're their Breath of the Wild trines. <laughs> right. But here's the problem is that I, I find it very annoying where it's like, okay, you, uh, it's not just one crate that you open up that like grants you, you have to get three. And it feels like such a small thing. Well, a lot of areas like, have like four or five crate. of them. I know, but it's like, I want to go to one crate and just have this nice big boost rather than like, okay, I got one crate. It's just, it's less satisfying, if that makes sense. I don't know. It's, um, I'm trying to use more no, I get that. proper uh, yeah, vocabulary I get the, here. You don't have that immediate rush of you always have gotten something progression-wise when you pick one up. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say, and to that as well, um... There's less uh, skill trees this time around. They've they've split the uh, the skill trees into I think it's just like combat and survival, or let's say combat and agility or something. Which, to be honest, to me feels fine because the the middle skill tree in the original Dying Light was mostly just like passive buffs, so it wasn't very interesting yeah. to begin no, with. No, no, I'm I'm fine with that. I it's it feels, and I get that there's a lot of upgrades and they don't want you to get them too quickly, but like it feels very grindy. It feels very grindy and maybe that improves because I, I do know that there's you do uh, get double xp if you're out at night so i think that's one of the big incentives to adventure yes. at night is you get a lot also, more experience doing that and also because now this game has like fully customizable gear with like different with like slight stat increases and stuff like that uh you can get a bunch excuse me you can get a bunch of gear um where it increases your like agility or your yeah. uh, combat uh, XP gains and stuff like that. And that's the other thing to point out, too. This feels much more like an actual RPG. Yeah, like this is definitely so an RPG. One. This To me, it honestly felt like they're bringing a lot of mechanics back from Dead Island. Oddly yes. enough, which I yes. think I really like, because uh, it Dead means there's Island. a lot more vertical progression. Mm -hmm. I think it's very, very fun. Uh, the weapon crafting, to me, feels a little bit less interesting because you're not, like, crafting specific weapons. You're just crafting mods that you put on weapons. But it also works pretty well so far, so I, I don't really... I'm not complaining as, about it. It just feels different. As someone who uh, typically doesn't super get into, like, crafting, like, uh, his own gear, like, uh, Ryan and I, uh, we haven't been able to play ESO recently because of where Ryan's located, but... Um, Whenever we play that game, there's a lot of time spent where, like, Ryan's crafting stuff, and I'm like, I don't want to do it. <laughs> like, I get too lazy. So so for me, it's like, okay, I can just grab a weapon. Oh, this looks like a cool weapon. Uh, well, see, I don't craft yeah. I don't craft gear. I craft furniture to put in the house, right? I don't I don't That's craft fair. the gear stuff. That's not the fun part. <laughs> That's fair. I don't have enough space in my in my crummy apartment for <laughs> to justify that. But but anyway, um, I'm kind of fine with it because it's like, okay, it just it just for me, it's more time spent making like actually using the wacky weapons than making it and it's so streamlined and i think the ui does a good job of like yeah. helping you craft things nice and quickly and you can still make some like just absolutely bonkers oh yeah you can make some really fun stuff some really like there's literally like a like a, a stick where because there's no guns in this one that's the other thing there are like ranged uh. weapons uh, that you get very late in the game. They actually, like, like, give you a story crazy. reason. So, Wyatt, I discovered a story reason in the game and a side quest. And this is one thing I do want to give major props to the game for. Is some of the side quests are really good. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But I played this side quest where it's, like, a little history lesson from an old man. 
and he sends you to the site of a massacre and explains like yes, what I happens. Up that quest. I haven't finished it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that that side quest, I'm not going to tell you what happens, but he explains like why there are no guns in the city anymore. I think it's super interesting. It's a really good way of like answering these little questions about the setting that you might be yep, like, oh, why are there no guns? Uh, this is why. Dedicating entire quests to just world building, especially for fans of the first game that want to see how the world has evolved and what is it like? 15 years since the first game or something like that 20 or something i think it's 20 by this years. point yeah and so dedicating a whole side quest to just world building like that is is great very very much a fan of that um the other thing i, I do want to say about the open world too is um there's a lot more spaces where you can walk in, in, into buildings and you can do that in the first game but it's very limited uh here the interiors of buildings are are way more fleshed out and some of them are whole like almost like tiny little dungeons where you go and like look for, you know, high quality loot. And one of the, the best aspects of the day-night cycle is that during the day, uh, you, you see a lot of uh, zombies inside because they're trying to protect themselves from the sunlight and you don't see uh, a lot of zombies outside. But during the nighttime, all the zombies are out, which means there are less zombies in the actual building. So there are some... Um, there are some like side content you can do that all takes place inside of buildings. And so it's best for you to wait until nighttime. So there's much less um, like there's much less uh, opposition when you do that. I think it's a really cool like time incentive. It actually, it means that going out at night is more of an active decision here because in Dying Light 1, like nighttime in Dying Light 1 was painful to be out in because it was so dark you couldn't see anything. And uh, the volatiles would kind of just kill you. If you weren't careful, you had to be on the yeah. run all the time. It was definitely like the the nighttime was definitely more intimidating in the first game, but I feel like it's more fun to play in yeah. this game. I think it's because in the first game you could just avoid having to play at night by never going out, and here it feels like you have a good reason to play at night, and it's not super threatening overly more so than day. It's more that like if you mess up, you might get stuck in a chase and have to like run around and make sure you don't get killed, but. It's also less punishing, because in the first game, if you died at night, you would lose experience. Oh, In this one, you don't lose experience. Oh. You just you lose the bonus that you would get for getting it at night, but you don't actually lose any experience that you already got. So It also feels like there's a lot of side content or side quests that like encourage you to go out at night, too. Like It just it, it pushes you to do yeah. that more often as well. I, I feel like they're, they're embracing the, like, the day-night cycle way more in this one than they were um, in the first one, for sure. All right, so yeah, we I think Wyatt and I generally first impressions are pretty positive. Mm-hmm. We'll see how that changes as we go on. Um, as I know, it's it's a fun game. I think if you enjoyed the first game, you'll probably enjoy the second. There's a lot I of people talk complaining. About combat very much. <laughs> Look, the combat physics are different than the first game. That doesn't mean they're worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gets floaty sometimes. It gets kind of floaty and and old janky. They have like some new systems in for parkour combat, which is really cool, but it's it's a little bit like finicky to get working occasionally. So, yeah. Overall, I think I like currently like the combat in the second more than the first one, but I can see why people would prefer the first game. So just adding a a block and parry button yeah. makes all the huge difference, difference. In the world to me. For sure. All right. So, Alex, you've been playing Uncharted, haven't you? I have. I finally finished my absolutely, definitely no longer a speed through or a speed run uh, of the entire series. Oh, nice. Minus wow. the PS Vita. 
I need to resume game. my like regular run through. <laughs> so I finished <laughs> the first game and then never went to the second one. I started by doing. I I did speed runs, and I was not able to get the speed run triumphs for any of the games. But I I tried. I, I did speed runs up until I. I tried to commit to it to for for one, three and four. I don't know why I didn't for two. That that was a while back. Um, and then I, I was just enjoying Legacy again because I haven't played it in a while, and I am an absolute sucker for train scenes. <laughs> I guess that's why I didn't do it for two. I mean, a good train love scene my, is always important. <laughs> that's because they do it so well. They really <laughs> they do. I think you had talked about this, Alex, on a previous um, episode, but just the way that they utilize the train, especially in, yeah. the, in the second, is just ingenious and oh my God. There's, so well done. There's a tank you fight a helicopter on train? It's, oh, what, it's, uh... Yeah. It's, it's one of my favorite uh, set pieces, for sure. I don't think anything can top uh, Uncharted 4 when you're, like, tailing behind the, the jeeps. <laughs> oh, yes. The the convoys are also done pretty well, except for... Yeah. I, I didn't really like the convoys in 3. Um, they were okay. They, they, they didn't feel like they had changed that much from the second game, which I guess they didn't really need to, but... 4 was phenomenal with the grappling oh. hook. Oh, man. I can't wait to yeah. get to 4. 4 looks very, very fun to play. That was some good stuff. Yeah, and they're doing the um the the remastered for four and Lost Legacy for the PS5. If I, I am curious, Alex. So you were playing Lost Legacy, right? Yes. How well has Lost Legacy hold, held up? Um, in terms of anything in particular, or because it, it's one of the not the old disc games, but it's older than four. So, oh I, no, Lost Legacy is newer than four. Oh, Lost Legacy's new? I'm thinking of yeah, the Golden after. Abyss. I'm thinking of Golden Abyss, uh, not Lost yeah, Legacy. Yeah, that, that's, the, that's the one that I haven't played. because I, I have played that one, actually. Because oh. I, I owned a Vita back in the day, and that was like the first Vita game I ever played. It was the first Uncharted game I ever played. Huh. How, how do you think it was compared to now? Well, God, it's been a really long time since I played it. It's um, definitely probably it, worse than the other games, but still pretty good. Yeah. I prefer the I first one because I I hate oh. the first game with a passion. It's... I really don't like it. Um, but no, I I liked it. It it the the set pieces weren't allowed to be quite as insane. Not like oh f you know falling out of a giant you know uh you know falling out of a out of a giant play with like the cargo crates from three and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. it was. But I, I mean, it was still a lot of fun. It just felt very much like, yeah, we we could we did what we could with the available the hardware, but hmm. there know, were limitations. Like a first run because it's it's disconnected from the trilogy. I think it's still a lot of fun and, uh, and good but, for beginners. But to, to answer your question, why I'd say uh, to answer your question, Ryan, I'd say Lost Legacy holds up very well for being one of the newest games in the in in the series. I don't know how I yeah. missed that Lost Legacy was newer than the four. <laughs> Yeah, no, I replayed it recently because I um I was doing a class that had me play it for an assignment. Actually, um, it was really good. Ah, it was it was excellent, and like the uh, the open ended environments that they expanded on for were really well done. Yeah. As well, how how long did Lost Legacy take you? You think was it how lengthy compared to the normal Uncharted games? It's ten hours, I'd say, if mm -hmm. you're stretching things out and doing completionist things. I think 
around around 10 10 to 15 so good length not, not like crazy long it's nice yeah. no no because it's important to to keep in mind that like the open like world aspect of it is is one chapter whereas everything yeah. else is yeah. pretty like typical lydia yeah. charted yeah there's uh yeah the 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 scavenger hunt bits in the open world were, were fun especially now that you have a uh that you you have an area now for for that for that mm. bit. Uh, that that helps and then i was doing the the treasure hunt i missed two of them oh. i don't know where they are oh, one of them is in the open rough. world All right. That's unfortunate. Where is it? <laughs> Gotta go on a hunt at some point, replay every mission and just scour every inch of every level. Yep. Okay, so anything else you want to mention about Lost Legacy, Alex? Um, it flushes out both Nadine and Chloe after them being uh, essentially side pieces or one-off villains in, in the games before. And Do you think they stand on their own writing. as well as like the other naughty dog protagonists do. I um I don't think they hmm, that's I've a very difficult question, question I know. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> I think their their limited time in previous games helped a little bit because it, it adds to the satisfaction of seeing them flushed out more. Because you already kind of have an introduction to them. Yeah. So I, uh, without them, I'd probably say they're a little bit underneath. Um, I they they also bring they bring back a couple characters from four, technically. Um, yeah, yeah, they do. I think the problem is that the protagonists from the you know from the previous four games have had like two to four games worth of like character development. Yeah, so it's not necessarily <laughs> a fair comparison. Excluding one. No, but I think but I think, you know, t- plucking these two side characters, like what they were able to do with that, just plucking them out of that and then making them the main characters, I think they did the best job that they could with one game working with side characters. And with the with the not very likely, but possibility of having more Uncharted games in the future, which they, they left it open because of it's like oh it's like, yeah i i might uh, at the end it's like you know i might try out this treasure hunting racket yeah it just probably won't be nathan at the helm of the uncharted games anymore okay. no I, I don't think so. but it could be more chloe and nadine which i would absolutely be down for any and anytime we can get more sully that's just as long as you can get oh. sully in there somewhere <laughs> oh. yeah i just want i want like 90 year old sully how about a super super young sully that looks like mark Wahlberg? <laughs> oh don't even get me started <laughs> oh no so with i mean with um i was gonna say lost last of us two there there have been some interestingly handled deaths I, because i, I wonder say. i think last of us is, is a hard franchise to keep going with mm-hmm just because, like, every time they do it, you have to come up with a completely new plot, right? You can't... Yeah. There's, there's no follow-up point for any of The Last of Us games, really. So yeah. I think Uncharted has a much more direct path to, like, okay, treasure hunting. Let's go. It's right. It's MacGuffin, maniacal villain, and fist-fighting and beating the crap out of a terrorist. And And unlike Last of Us 1 and 2, they're more, like, separate adventures. Like, you can play... Yeah two without playing one you can play three without playing one and two yeah that sort of thing 
Yeah. Which works, they, which works better for this kind in, of story, these kind of characters. In the storytelling between uh, from one to four, I'd say it definitely helps that you could play them uh, on their own because they do a decent job of filling in at least relationship dynamics uh, if you mm-hmm. haven't played the other mm-hmm. games, which, which, is, which is nice to see. Mm-hmm. All right. So I've got one game I want to talk to you two about. And I don't know if you have heard of this game. Because it's a more recent thing that has popped up. It's a little game called Vampire Survivors. All right, I have not. I, I haven't. Okay, I so I encourage you to look up this game and look at what it looks like. Because it okay. looks like the worst asset flip kind of trash that you would find under a dumpster bin somewhere. It's really good. <laughs> so Survivors, you said? Vampire, Vampire Survivors. Survivors. This game has taken over like YouTube and Twitch recently. Um, it's based off of like there's a, a phone game called Magic Magical Magic Survival or something like that. That is uh, essentially a one joystick game. You don't press any buttons. You just move. Uh, and what happens is you collect upgrades and kind of idle style get incremental things that will add projectiles to your character that shoot them out in different directions and whatnot. Uh, but Vampire Survivor's whole shtick is it's very Castlevania inspired. So you get all Looks these like crazy it. weapons straight from Castlevania, uh, and you use them in this giant combo to like unleash destruction on everything. It's very satisfying in a way that I think few things like it are, and it's only $3. That's the big selling point with this game. It's very cheap. Um, that truly is a horde of enemies. There's a bunch of unlockable characters. It is... There's a lot going on on screen right it's now. Like a, it's a roguelite that is like distilled to the element of you just move around and then pick your character's build and get to see what happens. And it's very... It's a system that I think nobody thought would work this well, but someone just came up with it, and it's working extremely well. Uh, There's one of those taglines in there, be the bullet in hell. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty crazy. If I can borrow a term from Girlfriend Reviews, this is very much Diarrhea Christmas Lights. Oh, but it's the best (laughs) time. It is currently in early access. I think I'm looking forward to see how crazy this game gets, because... It's the kind of thing where I would love to see like different levels with completely different uh, move sets and whatnot. So I'm excited to see where this goes. But it's a weird, just kind of time waster game that popped up that I think is way more fun than it has any right to be. Um, <laughs> and I know multiple people who all of us here know uh, that has played it for over 20 hours. <laughs> oh, and it's a game where you just move you? around. It reminds me of the kind of thing where, like, um, you know, when we were still. Uh, taking you know, when we were still in college, like everyone would be working on their own like personal side project, and they'd be these like small like but really addicting little like arcade games or whatever. Yeah, it feels like one of those. Or it's like, yeah, I've been working on this like you know an hour here and an hour there. Uh, senior year, it's like finally in like a pretty playable state, and like this is the result, and it's really fun. <laughs> yeah, I think the interesting thing with it is the it's so simple to control that. I think the controls are not what sell it. What sells it is, is the meta progression and like the crazy levels that the on-screen mayhem can get to. So well, it's very satisfying just like watching yeah. gameplay of it. It's the kind of thing like, where like I looked at, the, I watched a video of someone playing this. And I was like, this looks incredibly dumb. I don't think I'm gonna like this. But then I, I was like, I got that tingle in the back of my head. The same thing that happened when I played Monster Hunter for the first time. I was like, oh no, <laughs> something there is working. Ah, the dopamine receptors. Yeah, and so I, I went and downloaded Magic Survivors, which is the like free phone app version, which is really good. I've been playing that one on my phone. Uh, benefit of it being free, but 
the, uh, the Vampire Survivors is actually like a take on that that has added a lot of actual gameplay elements. Like the chests are very cool with the like slot machine thing going by. So I, I think it's just a, a neat little project that I <laughs> a couple of these like three dollar games have popped up recently. Of like Snake RX is another one that was just a super well made. Um, very simple game of like an auto battler where you move a snake around and it shoots at enemies. So I think a couple of these have gotten very popular recently. So it's neat to see more coming out that are actually high quality. How would you pronounce the developer's name, Ryan? Uh, let me check what the developer's name is first. <laughs> Probably Ponkle. Pon- I was going to say Ponsel. Probably Ponkle. I like the good old Ponkle. <laughs> well, I think you're both wrong. It's actually Ponklee. Ponklee. Could be, could be. All right. So I think with that, we've finished our show for this week. It's time to go to shoutouts. Who wants to start? Oh, I got one. Go for it. My, my shout-out is another bit of news, actually. Um, oh. it, so as we all know, Battlefield 2042... Not had the greatest launch in the world, Uh-oh. to put it lightly. It's been so bad, in fact, that uh, they don't have a scoreboard. They don't have like a traditional FPS scoreboard. Oh no! And this was, and this was one thing that was supposed to be in an upcoming update. Um, Dice just Not delayed their scoreboard update. Oh my god! They delayed their scoreboard for their first-person shooter. Oh my god! <laughs> Oh my god, that's so funny. That's so funny. <laughs> that's pretty great. Wow. Oh no. That's some high quality stuff right there. That's some high class comedy right there. <laughs> wow. High class insanity. Alright. Oh, I gotta give my shout out to a another little indie game that I've had in my backlog for a long time called Chronicon. Where it's just it's an ARPG like all the other ARPGs, except it's very Low budget, uh, but it has like the best progression of any ARPG. It's, it's crazy. It's very, very good game that looks like it's not very good. <laughs> I, I play a lot of those. Like Weird. Chronicon is one of the more fun um, action RPGs that I've played in a long time. All right, Alex. Uh, shout out to my new microphone that I have not used yet for the podcast for some reason, but I believe some of you have heard my my voice. On Gotta plug right, that bad right, boy right? in. Are you using I, it right now? I really do. I am not. I'm still using the 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 wired uh, headphones that I keep tripping on the wire from. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> because the because the wireless headphones that I have that are really nice. Mm-hmm. Um. I still need to switch out the earmuffs because they, they make my ears cramp a little bit. Um, and the battery life is very short on them. Like, mm. two hours long. Alright. Well, with that, we're hitting our show's battery life. So, I'm going to hit Ooh. the outro button. And as always, catch us Tuesday morning, 7 a.m. Eastern Time on the podcast platform of your choice, YouTube and Twitch. See you next week. Bye-bye! Bye. Please, games industry, don't explode in the next seven days. That would be three, <laughs> two, one, and the new news. <laughs> Sony acquires God knows what. 